0: This podcast is proudly sponsored by Virtuous. Now, giving is a very deeply personal thing, and they believe that your fundraising should be too. This is actually something we talk about a lot on this very podcast in terms of how can we grow, improve, and optimize giving and generosity. So traditional impersonal fundraising tactics often alienate donors and create a distance between them and the impact that they want to have. Virtuous is the only responsive fundraising platform designed to help nonprofit teams build better donor relationships with all of their donors and I have to say, I think it's a great product. I've referred multiple nonprofits and charities over there in the past and continue to do so in the future because I believe in the people and the product, and I just think it's a really good modern piece of fundraising-focused software. So I recommend you check it out. And if you are interested in finding out more, you can go to virtuous.org generosity. That is virtuous, V-I-R-T-U-O-U-S sorg generosity.
1: Hey there, and welcome to the Generosity Freak Show. I am Riley Landenberger, and in today's episode, Brady talks to Mitch and Johan from Pond, all about diversity, equity, and inclusion in technology and the nonprofit space. In this episode, you'll get to hear practical steps your organization can take in the process towards diversity, equity, and inclusion, and how being more inclusive and intentional about the choices you make within your organization can mean all the difference for your employees, your donors, and your cause. So, I really hope you enjoy this one, and I will hand it on over to Brady. <laughs> hmm mm, mm. Welcome to the freak show here we go It's just another freak show here we go I said welcome to the freak show here we go It's just another freak show here we go Oh welcome to the freak show here we go It's just another freak show here we go Welcome to the freak show here we go It's just another freak show here we go
0: hi mitch hi joan thank you so much for coming on the show hey thanks for having us brady so i wanted to call you uh stein and Studlick uh because it sounds like a very like expensive piano company so uh maybe you should start selling pianos in addition to all the work you're doing in nonprofit tech and dei so just a, just an idea for you guys um Thank you so much for joining. No relation to
2: Steinway. (laughs) Yeah,
0: I think that's probably what, you know, spawned the idea. But um, we're going to have kind of this far-ranging conversation about Pond and nonprofit tech and your guys' experience in particular. But, you know, Mitch, we've chatted before. I think your personal journey in the space and how you ended up with where you are at Pond is, is really interesting. And the more I know a little bit about Johan's story, it's really interesting, too. So before we dive into some of the topics, can you just take us on a little bit of a journey of like how you ended up here kind of championing this cause about, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion in, in nonprofit tech and helping nonprofits find solutions for their tech, technological needs.
2: Yeah. And I, I promise to keep it in a few minutes and not take over <laughs> the whole podcast as I tend to uh, be a bit, of, a bit verbose. Um, so yeah, my background professionally was in investment banking. Um, and I joke that and I started a nonprofit tech company with no work experience in nonprofits or tech companies. So um, it's a little unexpected, but uh, I covered the technology space as an investment banker at Goldman Sachs, um, covered software and internet businesses. And the, the chasm I saw between how tech was created and sold and utilized um, by big companies relative to how nonprofits use them, and within my own experience as a fundraiser, Uh, was really troubling to me. And I just, especially as someone who asks people to support a cause that I Mm. care about, Mm -hmm. the word support is the infrastructure. It is the scaffolding. It's what's holding them up and and helping them grow. And to think that you support a cause without supporting the nuts and bolts and bones of the organization Mm. um, really didn't resonate with me. Mm. And when I asked and started digging and heard people say things like, oh no, I mean, nonprofit tech's just 10 to 15 years behind. That's just the way it is. It's a nonprofit after all. Mm. And I didn't equate with how I think about the work of a nonprofit is tackling literally the biggest problems in the world. Mm -hmm. And yet we are handicapping them with without the best solutions. Mm -hmm. So um, that was sort of the fire under me that made me want to Leave the roost, if you will, you know, having been at one company ever since I graduated college, it was a bit of a scary jump. Um, became scarier when uh, my last day was March six, 2020, so five days later, the world <laughs> shut down as we know it. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a bit of a, a twist and turns to get started. Um, but yeah, we we wanted to create a marketplace that connected nonprofits with tech efficiently. Mm. And that was the original vision, which I think is is still true today, but has completely changed our approach. Because when we built the marketplace and we built the platform that had the shopping experience, you could go here to find everything you need. If you want a CRM, here it is. If you mm. want a peer-to-peer platform, here it is. People still weren't engaging.
3: Mm.
2: And so we knew if we didn't solve for that engagement and we weren't solving for that incentive, then we're never going to make the strides on people adopting and the products getting better, which mm. are the which are the benefits of a marketplace. And so changed course pretty dramatically to say that providing this information is great, but it's not really getting at the core of the problem. The core of the problem is there are, no one has enough time, no one has enough money. Most people don't have the expertise and most everyone doesn't trust all these tech companies because they think they're just trying to sell to them or they didn't do what they said they would do in the past. And Mm. so they're burned by those experiences. Mm. So if we can lower those barriers, with the marketplace itself, that's what's really going to be key. And so we flipped the marketplace around to say, nonprofits, we know you don't have time and you know you don't have enough money and we know you struggle to know what you don't know. And so you can come on Pond, you can list yourself. It takes two minutes to sign up. It's anonymous. Um, It's free. In fact, more than free, you get paid to use it because whenever a provider wants to talk to you in response to something you listed, you actually get $100 in your Pond account because we've cut out all the middlemen of marketing, where Mm -hmm. that provider didn't have to go down 10 different channels Mm -hmm. to be in front of you and sponsor something and advertise to you. They just got to go directly to the source and you benefit from that on your Mm -hmm. own time and your own terms and in your control. Mm -hmm. So that's a quick wrap, (laughs) where we started and and where we are
3: today.
0: Yeah, that's great. And then Johan yourself, uh, how do you um, play a role in in this journey right now with Pond and Mitch?
3: Sure. Um, so my quick story was I was also an investment banker with Mitch. Um, have made a couple of pivots through the years, but I've slowly kind of, through a lot of reflection, continued my search for meaning in the work I was doing. It took me from being an investment banker into the world of diversity, equity, inclusion. And that kind of arc of change has continued taking me out of the financial services community broadly to, to work at Bond. And so Mitch and I go way back. And so about uh, three months ago, he asked me to join the team and joined really excited to be responsible for ecosystem at Pond, which is basically everything internal facing.
0: Cool. Awesome. Well, you know, initially when we scoped out the the interview, there's kind of two sides to the conversation that we wanted to have. One was really around, you know, technology and solutions and problems with nonprofits. And you kind of touched on some of what you're doing of kind of changing the power dynamics. Um, so we can talk a little bit about that and maybe we'll circle back at the end. But I think the conversation around diversity, equity and inclusion in the nonprofit space overall is obviously getting more time and attention. And that's great. And then, you know, I know y'all have been focusing on that specifically through, you know, tech and tech adoption and the power imbalance that exists in that uh, environment. So maybe we'll spend a little time there. Um, You know, Mitch, you were recently on a panel at uh, NTC a while ago, and I know, Johan, you've got a lot of experience in this area. Can you just, A, maybe just DEI unpack it first before we kind of dive deeper into its you know implications for nonprofits, and then more specifically with tech because I think people can kind of wrap their minds around DEI overall but then it's like huh what do you mean DEI and tech and you know technology and some of those things so can you unpack that and then maybe take us down that path of why that's so critical to to you both and pond
2: yeah I'd, I'd invite Johan to start because I would say I'm the I'm the fan of DEI and the learner and the student and I think Johanna actually has professional experience. I'd love to start with his sort of viewpoint on on why it matters and and what it means to him.
3: Yeah, I think the most important lesson we as a society have learned is that when things are left to chance, those who have historically been marginalized continue Hmm. to be further marginalized. And so why that's an important setup is because correcting decades, in some cases, centuries of marginalization requires very deliberate, conscious attention to the choices we make that impact yeah. the outcomes of those related to it. And so it's that lens that we look at um, DEI today through, principally, for, for me, it's very much about identity. Um, you know, I, I think, of, of unfortunately, a lot of DEI is looked back through like a very narrow, oh, it's just analogous to what. Affirmative action implementations in the U.S. have become, and like that's right. very much like a very—it's an important slice of it, but not exhaustive. And I think um, part of what we're trying to do at Pond and in the broader conversation about DNI is just be more inclusive about the choices we're making in everyday life and and awareness about how those choices impact others, whether it be you know directly or indirectly um and making sure that everyone has a seat at the table uh with everything from economics to media like and more, much more broadly i don't know, mitch what do you think
2: yeah that's awesome i think talking about being intentional being explicit um you know even being in a conversation here we've got three white men on a call which like we don't need to feel bad about that that is who we are and it's part of our identity mm-hmm. but like it's important for us to bring these conversations here no matter what space you're in and be an advocate for those that aren't in the space and mm-hmm. call them in and, and share the mic and share the stage wherever you can. Mm-hmm. And so that's a, a big guiding force for me. Um, and I think from the panel specifically, you mentioned, Brady, around you know, DEI in nonprofit tech. Um, we had a panel of three tech founders who are women of color serving the nonprofit sector um and on in different capacities in different parts of the country and i think the value of a more transparent marketplace is it's that information that becomes more ubiquitous of if someone says you know we spend a lot of money on blank vendors technology consultants um and you take a look at it and you're like oh it's all with white men um but I don't know where I can find him like, I can't find anyone that changes that we have a pipeline problem. Like it's that's mm-hmm. a common thing across any specter of DEI, whether it's an employment or leadership or board or donor, any of that, it's a pipeline problem. I think that is either laziness. <laughs> whenever someone says it's a pipeline problem mm-hmm. or, or there's an information gap, right? Like it just means that you don't have access to the information to show you that there actually are other options. Mm. And so the fact that we can do that on Pond. so you'll notice if you look at our provider page, the only thing we currently distinguish by is whether a company is diverse owner-led in whatever way that that company identifies and is able to share that in their own words. So we're not trying to say like, you know, you're we're the one doing diligence to determine if you are in fact a person of color. It is as people identify and want to share that publicly so that folks can highlight that when they're evaluating providers, because that is you know, nonprofits are obviously a focus of DEI because that's a part of uplifting um, the underserved. That's probably what drives, I mean, the vast majority of nonprofit causes is you are working to make someone's life better or something better that currently doesn't get the attention or doesn't have the outcomes you want today. And so if that mindset and that mission isn't reflected in the money you're spending, you know, there's a mismatch there. And I think there's an opportunity to help bridge that gap with more ubiquitous information.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really good point on the, the nonprofit side, because I think that um, that's one of the the things that comes up, right, is people go, you know, like, uh, I'm so busy, I just need to, like, you know, grab the thing that, that makes the most sense and move on or like for profit companies, we just got to maximize shareholder return and you know, we'll just choose that option. But as nonprofits, like we're creating the very same problems that we exist to solve. So if there's any industry or any vertical that should be thinking about these things more than any other, knowing that, like, if this continues down these paths, we're the ones who are going to continue to have to solve these problems in different ways. So I think it's taken on a a different lens, which has made it maybe more um, emotional or more uh, front and center, because it should be like the the tip of the spear in society it could kind of should be our sector, which in theory is more by default, caring and inclusion and, you know, solving those kind of problems. So it's been really interesting to see, obviously, like Johan, you've been doing DEI work for years, but for a lot of folks, myself included, to be honest, probably the last two years, I've never seen DEI pop up in the circles I travel until the last two years. So for a lot of folks, it seems like, wow, this came out of nowhere. And that is not true, right? Johan, can you talk us through like a little bit of uh, like a not the history of DEI, but kind of like the, the progress uh, and things that have made, particularly in the last year where it, it seems to have really risen in prominence for all different kinds of reasons.
3: Yeah, I, I think one of the biggest changes that we've seen has been this shift from what we will call like a compliance mindset in DEI of like mm. being something someone or some organization or, or business has to do or else they're going to be labeled as X to a deeper, more pervasive sense yeah. of like care and desire to to learn and be curious and understand the experience of others who are different than themselves in a way where a, a series of like tragic events over the course of the last five years, you know, has been, has forced that conversation to the front of the public ethos in a way where, frankly, it just it wasn't front of mind for a lot of people because they either weren't connected to the communities who had been so marginalized, or there's mm-hmm. a whole host of systemic issues as well as to why, why they haven't been so part of mine. But I think certainly one of the things that, that has happened is it's, you know, it's evolved from this very corporate policy to a very Mm. personal curiosity is probably the, the the ends of the spectrum, um, where I would, I would anchor things towards now. And like, hopefully that's going to continue because as, as we get out of this mindset of just something we have to do. Instead, something that is important for each of us to kind of round out who we are as people and to, to better understand the world in which we live and how others' experiences are different from ours is going to continue us on that, on that journey.
0: And do you, th- do you think that is kind of like a continuous journey or progression of kind of like, you know, moving from one end to the other? Sometimes it's like big leaps and bounds. Sometimes it's like little steps. Because I think that's that's the other thing for some folks that are on this journey go like, Oh, I'm supposed to be way over there because that's like the, you know, the ultimate goal of, of DEI and we're short of that. So then there's like fear and I don't want to talk about it and shame and, you know, all these types of things. So is it kind of like a, a continuum? And as long as, you know, you're working and striving to get better and, you know, be more on the curiosity or what does that look like? Cause I think that's one of the issues is people are afraid to even engage for these kind of fear reasons. Right.
3: Yeah. I mean, I think well. well for starters, I think your question about like, is it a continuum? It's definitely not linear, right? Like I think there, <laughs> there's there's certainly a spectrum, but it's, I, I think part of where DEI has got it wrong in the past is the way we've talked about it have been through mm. these very narrow single issue lenses, right? right? Like we look at something as a gender problem or as a race problem or as a socioeconomic problem. When in reality, I think what we're understanding is that the more richly we can understand like the the tapestry of our own experience and that my experience is partly one driven by my race, but also my gender. It's as you know, a lot of privilege, et cetera. And in in my personal experience, I think the more richly we can understand each other across all these dimensions is going to be the goal that leads to deeper understanding. And ultimately, in my opinion, that understanding is going to lead to more care and concern for others and and Mm. hopefully less, you know, persistent self-interest and, and narrow thinking, and we can think more collectively about how we make decisions, et cetera.
1: This episode and podcast are proudly sponsored by Virtuous. Now, you've heard Brady talk about it with our guests before, but I wanted to remind you that giving to a cause is deeply personal, and your fundraising should be too. Unfortunately, Today's nonprofits are handcuffed to outdated fundraising models that reserve personal connections for a select few major donors. Instead of creating connection, traditional impersonal tactics alienate your donors and create distance between the donor and their impact. Virtuous is the only responsive fundraising platform designed to help nonprofit teams build better donor relationships at scale. Responsive fundraising with Virtuous combines modern technology, data intelligence, and donor-centric giving experiences to foster personalized conversations with every donor. Virtuous is more than just a CRM. They unify fundraising, marketing, and donor development activities, ridding teams of redundant back-office tasks, and revealing the insights needed to deliver dynamic campaigns. And all of this happens in one place. You can turn data into deeper donor relationships and grow your fundraising with Virtuous. And to learn more about responsive fundraising with them, you can visit virtuous.org/generosity. That's v i r t u o u s.org/generosity.
0: Maybe a little bit more like practically or tangibly, what does this look like for nonprofits in technology in particular? You know, are there things that nonprofits themselves can and should do other than like, you know, use bond and things like that? But like, are there things that they should be reviewing, discussing with board, implementing different types of, you know, policies? Like, what are some of the practical steps? Because I think that's the other thing, especially people that are like, I, I'm interested, I want to progress. And then it's just other than maybe some super superficial things or some kind of more theory, philosophy things, I think a lot of people get lost. Like, well, what do I actually do to make progress here? So what are some of those things specific to the work that, you know, y'all are doing?
2: Yeah, I would say um, N10 has a really good, like racial equity in tech. Um, I don't know what to call it. It's, it's a, a very thorough examination. So if someone really wants to, to dive in, and think it's like 30 pages mm. long. So it's like, there's meat there if someone, and so we can, I can send you the link and include it in the show notes or something, but that's a great resource. Um, we put out a, a vendor selection guide that just incorporates the DEI lens into the types mm. of questions has like checklists. of. It doesn't mean like any vendor owned by a white man is like disqualified. You know, it's not the point, but to be um, just thoughtful and mindful of how you're making purchase decisions right. and asking the extra question. So I think it comes down to in nonprofit tech or any other part of your organization or your life, frankly, um, getting more engaged in DEI is all about discomfort. Mm. <laughs> so that's why it's so hard. And it, when you talk about, as you mentioned that it's definitely not linear. And I think we're all conditioned, especially in workplace cultures to like reach the step, check the box, get the pat <laughs> right. on the back, right. and then like come back the next day and do the next thing. And, and, mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't work like that. And you don't get like a gold star for like having the tough conversation or bringing up the extra question. And, and I think that discomfort, you mentioned fear. I mean, it's so true. And so it's finding ways to do that incrementally every day as a practice. Mm. It's Mm. not, it is not like, Oh, we're going to do this four week course. And then our organization's (laughs) not going to be racist. Like, hallelujah. Um, there are, there are steps to take that aren't going to be linear and it's all about discomfort. So when you talk about tangible things, it's an audit. Hmm. Who are all the companies we pay money to today? And you might find out a hundred percent of the tools and technology you use today are run by a white straight male. Hmm. And you, people sometimes don't want to do the audit because they, they're worried, especially where they feel judgment either by their staff or their donors or their supporters or the public at a nonprofit. Um, you got, you have to take the first step. You have to put the stake in the ground, um, and think about the impact you're having with your dollars and cents. Mm. Um, cause that is a huge component of the impact you have as a nonprofit. It's 5% of U S GDP. Like it is a huge component of the economy. Um, and so I think, you know, you gotta tackle the fear. You gotta tackle the discomfort, admit mistakes. Like they think there's also a fear of, you don't want to say what you want to do next. Cause it's like, Oh, if we don't have, you know, if our goal is to have one tool, one, you know, one vendor that's, that's owned by a woman, um, doesn't that still look really bad? Yeah. But it, you know, you, you're engaging with it and you're taking steps forward. And I think that transparency that comes and the discomfort that comes with it is how you make meaningful change. Cause it invites commentary from the people that you need commentary from and you need input from a diverse community when you're transparent with staff with board with community um and there's a temptation to want to do it all behind closed doors but until you get to check the box like you've you've reached the finish line after 2 years and so now you're ready to talk about the changes right. to your vendor selection policy that that's that's preserving your own comfort and it is further excluding the folks that you're trying to better
0: engage with and better uh, include. And do you see there being a progression? Cause you, you've mentioned a few times like on pond and, and here doing an audit, like minority led businesses or people of color. Um, but there's, there's obviously more to DEI than just who the owner is, right? There's practices around hiring, there's salary and wage gaps. Like, I think that's, that's the other issue. And this is where people go, Oh, it's more about, it's more than just about that. Yes, it is. But that's also a pretty good starting point. And it's one of the easier ones to identify, Right. So look at anything like the development of B Corps, you know, like those just didn't come out of nothing. It came from this kind of movement of saying, being more responsible about business and what are the criteria now? Hey, years later, we have the certification that says if you do these kind of things, you're certified B Corp. Like, is that what you see? In Maybe it's in place right now or that's what the future will look like is, yes, there's minority led and owned businesses. But there's organizations that commit to certain principles and pass certain even third party you know, audits amongst transparent, whatever the the issues are like, is that in place? Is that where things are headed? Is that kind of uh, what you think is a good thing for the space be moving beyond just who's at the very top, which is a good thing, I'm not getting saying that, but like it has to progress beyond just who's the owner, right?
3: Yeah, I think, so I, I think part of this journey that people have been on broadly is instead of thinking about DEI like a department or like a sidecar initiative, The reality is it is instead a lens through which you must look at every single thing your organization, whether it's a corporation or whether it's a nonprofit does, right? It's everything from how do you hire and treat your people to how do you select your vendors? How do you think about your investors Mm. externally? How do you design your platform? How do you evolve your business model? How do you measure success? How do you think about impact? Like how do you leverage your own voice and platform for advocacy? Like there's... There's so many dimensions to it, and I think the most important thing is it's gone from being you know a discrete, small compartmentalized initiative to being, hopefully, if people are doing it right, something that's pervasive through everything that they do and all the actions and all the critical decisions they make about their business or people, et cetera.
0: And so what are some of the the steps for nonprofits in particular companies as well, but especially nonprofits who are saying, you know, again, that was a really great practical starting point of even just a vendor audit, which is great. Like we did a review of our hiring process and audit, because we suffer from this problem of just going in our own circles and oh, a friend of a friend, and that's great. But then we never get out of our own sphere of influence. So we have a third party HR company that does all of our resume scoring. We don't see resumes until they come back or advertising different places. But that started with an audit to figure out what are we currently doing and what's not working. So I think that's a very good first step. But what are some of the other steps getting beyond nonprofit tech selection, but thinking about holistically as an organization through our fundraising, through our hiring, like what are some of those things, either Mitch or Johan, that that are other practical steps that organizations can do? Is it as an audit? again? Is it hiring, you know, what are some of the things that that folks can can more practically do tomorrow to start making more progress?
2: Yeah, like you said, auditing is a great first step. And it also is something that <laughs> never really ends. You kind of continue continually <laughs> keep checking in. Um and I and that's like just again as a practice to just be aware, mindful, thoughtful. Uh, I think those should all be long-term goals that you keep working at every day. Um I mean, you mentioned some good things around hiring that I think are good. I think, in particular, um, what the hardest part you can hire an outside firm that's you know bringing you different resumes or you're finding them in new locations. Where I I've heard a lot of um, issues is once they're in the room, once they're in the interview, are you asking questions that are exclusionary? Yeah. Um, are are your right. interview practices you know not inclusive? And I think mm. there is there is a presumption, especially when you are. When someone is hiring and they are in a position of privilege and power, either race, socioeconomic status, gender, what have you, um, that they're like, their job is is done by bringing diverse candidates into the room and like bringing them to their Mm -hmm. space. Like I'm inviting you to the party instead of thinking more thoughtfully about like, what are our practices and how we interview or how we operate that could be you know, not feel inclusive or not provide a sense of belonging to someone that comes from a different background. And so I think that is a bit of a next step of there's like the process stuff, which I feel like it's the audit, then there's the process changes. Um, but there's also a layer of like self-examination and self-awareness, which comes from also asking questions, like asking the uncomfortable questions of, um, you know of, of experts like there are there are experts that can evaluate practices and evaluate and, and do t- trainings around you know I think that's the problem with how people have looked at DEI training in the past is that it is it's almost like a, a shame exercise <laughs> like you know everyone <laughs> if you raise your hand if you're racist and you're like okay I'm racist for all racist and then it's like okay be less racist and there's been so much progress in, in different <laughs> tools and there are there are mm. um, really cool apps, and and there's a company actually based here in Fort Wayne called Stream that is a um, a software tool that helps with incremental progress on a continued continual basis around implicit bias, not just the the one mm. like yeah you have bias. It's like what do you actually do from there? Um, so I, I think there's a lot of resources now where you can incorporate it into more of a practice and think about it in your own behavior culture. Um, so those would be the three for me, the audit process, and then it's actually digging into the the resources
3: out there to, um, do that examination and change. Yeah. I think just to add one more thing cool. to that, um, like if you're an executive director of a nonprofit, the next time you have a staff meeting of all the directors in your organization or wherever, whatever your org design is, you know, number one, let them know that, DEI is officially part of their job. And number two, ask them what their plan is for it mm. with regards to their own sphere of influence within the organization. Sometimes that's going to be an internal facing role. Great. Then let's let's figure that out. Sometimes it's a in a service delivery role, sometimes it's in a strategy, like whatever it is. I think, because that's that's I think yeah. part of the problem where when you have an organization where everyone assumes it's someone else's job, particularly true when you have like a department that's responsible for it. Everyone punts it off to them and they're like, Oh, they'll tell me what I have to do. But I think actually empowering all leaders or however, or structured in in an org to like, number one, take responsibility for that thing being done and deeply and authentically being embedded in Mm -hmm. whatever their slice. From a both an empowerment perspective and also to make sure that mm-hmm. your your efforts are exhaustive and comprehensive throughout an organization. Because guess what? If you have a small team doing right. its own, they're only going to be able to you know just look at recruiting or just look at these narrow slivers. Yeah. But I think the real key is getting it both deep and wide through an organization.
0: Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah, so much of it is just about the like in tuneness and intent uh, and like real intent empathy to a degree. Cause as you mentioned, like our hiring process have changed, which is great. And we've had uh, an explosion for relative to us in terms of uh, diversity inclusion, which is great. But we have a lot of folks now who come, they're not from the United States. English isn't their first language. And so even just like, we talk really fast. Uh, We use a lot of vernacular that's just natural to us. Tons of slang. We go to a baseball game as a company and just thinking through all of these things of just saying, how does this make everyone in the company feel? Because not everyone like grew up in Texas or the States or whatever it might be, you know, and just always thinking about that. And us on the marketing side too, even thinking about accessibility of content. So like, simple things closed captioning videos slowing down pace because there are people from around the world that watch this stuff and thinking that not everyone processes the English language as fast as you know there's like all these tiny things that once you actually start um and you know me and we have tons and tons of room to grow but it's just been interesting once you start having a lot of intent what that actually means these little things that have You just pick up on them, right? They were happening all the time. You never even noticed them. And now you can start to kind of address them and do that kind of stuff. There's so much more that we could uh, possibly talk about. And this is not like, oh, we talked about it once, you know, check the box kind of thing. So maybe like last words, uh, Mitch and Johan on kind of um, encouragement to nonprofits or, uh, you know, charging them or like a moment of inspiration or a tip or something that you want to leave folks with. From this conversation
2: yeah i'll go first and it's really inspired by something johan said about moving from thinking of dei as a burden or a compliance exercise because there's so much opportunity in how you think about being more mindful and inclusive up and down the organization um and i mean that example was perfect brady of like it improved your content like just because something was accessible to a certain audience your content actually got better by thinking about how it could be applicable to a broader audience. Mm. Um, and I think that's just mm. a point, one simple lesson of like, that happens up and down an organization across departments. Um, right. When you start right. training people to be more thoughtful and mindful, it's not just so that the minority employee feels better. Like you're going to, everyone interacts better when you're being more mindful, and thoughtful, because none of us fit the box. None of us Fit the archetype. Right. We are all uncomfortable in that in in that less mm. inclusive space, even if we, uh, you know, fit some a, a larger number of the the boxes to check that mm. are more archetypal. Mm. So um, that's I would right. just say get excited about it. It's it is it's hard, but it's going to lead to way better outcomes for everyone.
3: Yeah, for me, and this is more of like an ethos level thing of how I hold DNI and. I don't know who originally said this. It's not me. I take no credit for it, but I think it's a really good framing of you know I was raised on the golden rule, you know, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you, and the the newer language is the platinum rule, right? Of do unto others as, as they want done unto themselves. Like don't don't presume to know mm. someone's experience or what someone wants just because it's what you would want. No, understand that they're different. Their experience is different, and and ask and engage with them and treat them how they want to be treated not how you think they want to be treated. And I think if you can do that well, organizationally, individually, then I think you're going to go a long ways in terms of really embodying, embodying you know, what what the goals of DEI seek to achieve.
0: Awesome. Thank you. That That's a great place. Well, let's let's wrap there. Um, we'll send out obviously links to Pond and some of these resources that you encourage people to check out. But where can people find out more about you, Mitch, and you, Johan, as well as both personally and and the work that you're doing at Pond? Yeah, so
2: I am Mitch Stein on LinkedIn. I'm very loud, <laughs> as loud as you can be on a written <laughs> platform. Uh, so happy to connect with anyone there and uh, <laughs> respond to some messages there pretty quickly. Um, love to geek out on on impact in general, uh, across technology and, and more broadly. So uh, best, place, best place to find me and the website is www.joinpond.com
3: for our actual platform. I'm also on LinkedIn at Yohan Shove but you can find me through Ponder there as well
0: awesome well, well we'll link that up in the show notes as well thank you both uh, for coming on sharing your expertise and the the stuff that you've been learning on this journey and for uh, helping nonprofits on this journey as well as the the practical implications of just how do we solve technology solutions in a, in a better more inclusive way so appreciate it thanks for coming on
2: thanks Brady awesome thanks
0: Brady Thank you so much for listening to the Generosity Freak Show, brought to you by our friends at Virtuous, the only responsive fundraising platform designed to help nonprofit teams build better donor relationships with all of their donors. Be sure to subscribe to all future episodes at GenerosityFreakShow.com or search the Generosity Freak Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, other platforms that start with S, or wherever you get your pods. Now, The Generosity Freak Show is a production of Next After, where we combine the perpetual learning of a fundraising research lab, the practical application of a digital-first agency, and the rigorous instruction of a training institute to decode what works in fundraising and make it accessible to as many organizations as possible. You can learn more about the work that we do and get free, evidence-based fundraising resources at nextafter.com. Now, this show would not be possible without a few folks, including our mixologist, Jacob Hill, Producers Riley Landenberger and Nathan Hill, and the chief visionary behind it all, Tim Kachuriak. So thank you so much again for listening, and no matter where you are or what you're doing right now, I hope you're having a great day.